Well, good morning, Branch Church. It's a blessing to be with you all here this morning and all of our church family online as we continue our worship through the hearing and the receiving of God's word this morning. Now, when you see two people do something in perfect sequence, it can be quite amazing. Things such as synchronized diving. Have you ever seen that? Two divers get up, they flip off this high podium, they do the same move at the same time, at the same speed, hit the water exactly, and this little tiny splash comes up. You're like, wow, how'd you do that? I'd be thankful if I could even jump off of that and hit the water without severely hurting myself. Not just synchronized diving, but we see it in things like dancing, hip-hop dancing, ballet dancing, tap dancing, jazz, river dancing, even country line dancing. Clog dancing, there we go. One of my personal favorites is step dancing. Step dancing is when you get a group and they start smacking the ground and smacking their bodies all in rhythm, throwing out some great chants and and, and who they are and who they're about. I just love it. It totally fires me up. I'm totally guilty of walking around the house and just doing this. Part of the reason our house is an acoustic dream because we have a raised foundation so you hear everything, every beat. Thudding. God, it just sounds so good. My wife can testify, and I'm pretty sure it bothers her, which I probably need to work on a little bit. I wonder if, too, my neighbors can hear it. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I guess we'll find out one day. But seeing, seeing a group, especially of men for me, get in a line, and they just, give me that beat one time. Boom, boom, the boom. I just love it. Gets me fired up. Anybody else? Saying who they are and what they're about, and that they're in perfect sequence, the beat, the rhythm. It just sounds so cool. I'm already fired up in my heart. I'm going to have to calm down a little bit. In the same way, in a similar way, Jesus and the Father move in perfect sequence, perfect oneness of action. Now, you already knew this. I don't know if you knew this, but you already knew this because you read through John 5 together with us. And we see that the work of the Son is the work of the Father. But today, this morning, as we finish John chapter 10, we are going to see Jesus add a little nuance here to their work, their perfect sequence. And it's something that is deeply, deeply needed for the believer as it brings incredible security and rest to the fears and the anxiety struggles that we have. Today, as we read John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42, we're gonna learn this, that Jesus preserves his sheep unto eternal life because he is one with the Father. We will talk about what preservation is, and we will talk about what it means that Jesus is one with the Father. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. John writes, he says, at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So we are leaving behind a scene we've been in for a very long time. We're leaving behind the blind man, how Jesus has healed him, how he was excommunicated, kicked out of the religious assembly. We're leaving the good shepherd discussion, as painful it is to leave, but it never leaves our hearts, right? And we come into a new scene. John tells us it is now the feast of dedication. And the question is, well, what is the feast of dedication? So funny enough, this feast is actually not a feast that is commanded by the Lord in the Old Testament. So what are they doing? Where did it come from? I'm so glad you asked. 
There was a gentleman by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes IV in 167 BC. He comes and invades Jerusalem. He sacks Jerusalem. He sets up a pagan altar as he kicks over the altar of God and he makes it illegal to have the Hebrew scriptures now in Jerusalem. Think about that. He visibly, although not actually, in a sense, kicks God out of the, out of the country and then he bans God's word from God's people. This is an abomination of the highest degree, not good at all. So three years of this, finally the Jews get stronger. They rise up under the leadership of Judas Maccabeus, not his last name. It's a nickname, which means the hammer, right? We want to follow this guy, Judas the hammer. So they overthrow him. They, they, they rededicate, reconsecrate the temple. They do an eight-day ceremony. And this is where we get the celebration of Hanukkah. So exactly three years later, 164 BC, on the 25th of Kislev, right? December 25th, I believe. They're now celebrating Hanukkah and it's something they want to keep doing. And they mirror it very much after the Feast of Tabernacles, eight days, palm trees. We got lights and lamp lighting ceremony kind of a thing. And so we're, we're in that time. It's, it's now winter. And John tells us something else. He says that Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So I have a picture here. If you want to look at your screen, here is the temple area. In the middle is the temple. On the sides, that area inside is the court of the Gentiles. The colonnade area are those columns that go around the whole thing where you could walk. You know when you go to Balboa Park and you can walk under all the beautiful little columns? Jesus is there on the east side, which would be the, the bottom of your screen here. And this is where he is with his disciples at this point. There's a good chance that maybe John tells us because it was winter and the wind was blowing that this was a good place for them to be. It, it could be also that this was a good place for them to get and talk about scripture and things after the ceremonies and the things taking place at this temple at the time. So this is where we are, and this is what happens next. Verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him, and they said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So they come and they want to know one thing. Are you the Messiah? Check the box, yes or no. That's all we want to know. Now, do they really, the question is this actually, do they really want to know because they want to follow him or do they really want to know because we want to get you in trouble? I think it's the latter. I think they want to get Jesus in trouble. Now, Christ, very loaded term. If I dare even say it carried a lot of baggage with it, political baggage, military baggage, because in their mind, who was Messiah? Messiah was the son of David, who's going to rise up and he's going to do kind of what David did and slay the giant of Rome, set them up, free them, and they're going to conquer, they're going to rule, they're going to be great. So Jesus had to be very careful in using term Messiah because of how much baggage it carried with other people. This is why we get, when we get in the gospel of Mark and there's the messianic secret where Jesus keeps telling people to be quiet. It's for reasons like this, because Jesus needs to help them understand and fill in who Messiah is not according to what they think, but according to what the old scripture, Old Testament scripture predicted. So Jesus is in this kind of like catch 22. Either answer here is going to put him in, in kind of a place where it's not the best for them to hear it at this time. For example, I had a friend who was part of planning a church in, in Hillcrest. And Hillcrest is an area that has definitely embraced homosexuality. And one of the first things people will come up to, to them and do at their church property is this, are you gay affirming or not? 
We don't want to hear about Jesus. We don't want to hear about your doctrine. Don't tell us about how you got here. Yes or no, check the box. You gay affirming or not. Now, biblically, that's an easy answer. No. God's very clear. It is a perversion of his design that he has made between a man and a woman. No. But it's not easily received. And so for them to answer outright in that way would put them in such a a rough place with people what you really want to do is kind of turn the conversation, reframe it so you can have a better conversation and get them to actually hear the gospel and the truths that you're talking about. So Jesus is put in kind of a situation like this, but our Lord is brilliant. Watch this. Jesus answered them, verse 25, I told you and you did not believe me. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Jesus says, I have already told you. Now, what are they thinking? When did he tell us? Did you get an email? Did you get a letter? Did you, I didn't see anything. And Jesus points to them. How did he tell them? His works. Jesus sets his works out as what they are to weigh and to make a decision on in this instance. It's brilliant here. What works has he done? Oh, you remember the paralytic? 38 years and Jesus enabled this guy to walk. How about the, the loaves and the fish? took a few and fed five, 10, possibly even 15 or 20,000 people. How about the blind man? Been blind since birth. Even his parents confirmed it. And Jesus gave him sight, showing his incredible glory and grace in the life of this man. Jesus has already told them, but they don't believe, Jesus says, because you are not of my sheep. God the Father has not opened their eyes. He has not enabled them to see this. And without the grace of the Father to do this, they won't see it. They won't see it. I think of it like this. Imagine a group of people came up to a guy, tell us, do you really love your wife? And he's like, I already told you. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he points to his works. He says, go. And they go and investigate. And they find out, oh, wow. He, um, he provides for her. He, he's there in emotional crisis for her. He circles her name with hearts on the calendar. He writes her love letters. He, he often gets her flowers. He takes her on, on dates weekly. He rubs her feet at night. And you put all that together and go, duh. It seems pretty clear. Now, did he say it? No. But did he say it? Yes. Jesus has already told them, and they are not hearing the good news. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We know this. We went through this last week. Here's what Jesus adds here and what is so central to our teaching this morning. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. It's a double negative in the Greek. They will no not perish. What does that mean? Absolutely not. No chance that the life that Jesus gives to his sheep, they will not die. They will not perish. They will have eternal life. And then Jesus says this, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch Jesus' sheep. No person, no religion, no movement, no idea, no cause, no devil can take Jesus' hand, bend it back, open his fingers, and take his sheep out of his hand. How awesome is that? Thanos was a very powerful being in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's one interesting scene where a group of superheroes, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Iron Man, Man to Star-Lord, I can't remember if there's anybody else there, but they get him and they're holding him down and they're holding his hand back and they're trying to take this glove off with these, these infinity stones where he enacts all this power so they can defeat him. And they had him 
until they didn't. Star-Lord punched them in the face and they lost it all. But let's say you took that same group of heroes and you sent them to Jesus. Could they take Jesus's hand, bend it back, open his fingers and take the sheep that is you and me out of his hand? Don't make me laugh. Well, how about this? We'll go to the end scene in Avengers Endgame where you got all the bad guys versus all the good guys and they're going at each other. We'll send all the heroes at Jesus. You got the Hulk running full steam. Iron Man shooting missiles. Doctor Strange doing whatever he does. Spider-Man shooting webs. Uh, Ant-Man grows to 80 feet tall and he's gonna try to cannonball, jump on him or something. You send them all. Can they stop Jesus, take his hand, bend it and open and take his sheet from him? Well, let's, let's make it harder. Now we'll throw DC in there. Now you get Superman, you get Batman, you get the Flash, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and I don't know anybody else. You get all of them. Are they able to take the sheep out of Jesus' hand? The answer is an emphatic no. Jesus is very strong. He is amazingly strong. In fact, he is infinitely strong to do the will of the Father. This is a basic catechism question. Westminster Catechism for Kids, question 13. Can God do all things? And the kids answer and they say, yes, God can do all his holy will. That answer is very, very, very important because some people want to come at God's power and give you a catch 22. Can God create a rock so big that he can't lift it? Can God create a square circle? And you're like, uh, either way I answer, right? You're stuck. It doesn't make God look so good. You don't know what to say. Really, it's a categorical mistake type question. It's like asking how fast is the color blue? Like it doesn't make sense. But when you make it the object of his power, when you make it the object of his will, does he have infinite power? Is he omnipotent? The answer is 100% yes. So when the, when the question's understood rightly, we see that God absolutely has infinite power to carry out his will and his power. And we see that in the hand of Jesus. Do you feel secure in the hand of Jesus? Yes, you should, you ought, you need to. We must this morning. When you're in his grace, there is no strength, no wisdom, no power, no insight, no devil that can take you away. Jesus says this, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And here we see that what Jesus does is what the father does. The same strength in our Lord is the same strength in the Father. And together they work. That's even like, you feel even like double stronger, doesn't it? The Father and the Son holding you in his grace. In verse 30, how is it that Jesus is able to hold? How is it that he is able to keep you in his hand? Because he says this, I and the Father are one. What does that mean? Context teaches us this. Remember verses 28 and 29, what we just read here, the whole context No one can take them out of my hand because I and the Father are one. This is them being a functional oneness. This is one in action. I and the Father are one in action. We are one in purpose. Remember the dance, the synchronized diving. They're they're doing the same thing in the same way at the same time. And it is amazing. They're both, why? Because in action and in purpose, they're doing the same thing. Now, I think there's an implication here as well. If Jesus can do the works of the Father, which are clearly only things that God can do, surely there's an implicitness to his ontology here. In other words, his being, his nature. So the context is about a functional oneness, but I also think there is an implicit understanding of his deity here. 
there's an implicit understanding that if Jesus can do what God does, shouldn't he also be what God is by nature? Now watch the response here. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Immediately, they don't say anything. They start looking for stones they can throw to do what? To hit Jesus in the head, to knock him out and to crush him to death with stones. Easy verse to, to read past. But when you sit and think about it, wow, this just got heavy. They didn't ask for judicial sentence to happen. No courtroom. We don't need Rome. We don't need your help. We got this. You've crossed the line. It's time for you to die. Now, why stoning? Why not hang him? Why not drag him on a cart? Why not shoot an arrow into his heart? I know, Sean, that's a little much, right? Maybe. But why stoning? Well, this was the judicial punishment that God had implemented in many ways for Israel in the Old Testament. People were stoned for child sacrifice. It's hard not to think about today and the things going on. People were stoned for consulting with magicians. People were stoned for Sabbath breaking. People were stoned even rebellious kids. Do you read it? Deuteronomy 21, 21, to the point that they were so rebellious and out of hand, God actually had a point in time when he would take their life. How serious is God to deal with sin? Holy cow. So the Jews feel pretty serious right now. We get in the New Testament, Stephen. Stephen was stoned to death in Acts 7. Acts 14, Paul was stoned. They thought to death, but he wasn't. It was in inches of his life. Somehow they bring him back up and he keeps going and serving the Lord. This is incredible that he keeps going. I can't imagine if one of you hit me in the face, I think I might go cry in the corner. I mean, you ever been hit with a rock in the face? You ever been in the snow and someone, you're throwing snow and then someone hits you with a snowball in the face? It got real, didn't it? That hurt. It's like somebody just slapped you silly. Face feels red. I was on the couch a few months ago and all of a sudden I get whacked in the back of my head. My son hit me with a, Melissa and Doug ice cream cone. <laughs> Those are solid wood. I can't tell you last time someone has hit me or pushed me and I had to stop and breathe. I was upset. What Jesus is going through here, what they are feeling, this is a very intense moment here. Verse 32, Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it's not for good work that we're gonna stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. I love how Jesus reframes the whole thing. Which of all these good things that I'm doing that the Father sent me to do, that are of the Father, which of these are you gonna stone me? Showing that all he's doing is good, and they say not for any of those, but because you a mere man are blaspheming, you're making yourself God. You see, in their minds, Jesus did something very naughty. He crossed the chasm, the infinite chasm between man and God. He went from the finite humanity and he jumped the chasm to the infinite and said he was God on the same nature of God. Ironically, he actually did what? The opposite of that. He crossed the chasm, being God, he became, man, so amazing. They didn't even see that. They said, we're gonna do it for blasphemy. What is blasphemy? Blasphemy is to speak evil. It's to speak evil in a way as to harm or injure somebody. And so in this case, they believed he was speaking harm or injure to the very nature of God. How? Because he was crossing the chasm from the finite to the infinite. 
They believed he was doing injurious to God's nature, bringing it down to a level it didn't actually belong that was wrong. Again, it was ironic because Jesus actually was doing the very opposite of this. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he calls them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am God's, I am the son of God. Turn with me to Psalm 82. And we'll begin at verse one. Remember the context. Jesus is about to get a stone in the face. They're trying to kill him. He doesn't have much time to react or to say something. And so what he does here is to make one point and one point only. We have to be very careful. We don't take what he says here and to try to create a whole theology out of it because it will go really bad and we'll end up doing cult-like things. We can't do that. One point, Psalm 82, let's read it together. It's only eight verses. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? So we have a problem here with a group of people who are not judging rightly. Verse three, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And all God's people would say, yes, do those things. Take care of the hurting. Verse five, they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Verse six, here's what Jesus quotes. I said, you are gods, sons of the most high, all of you. Verse seven, nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Jesus cites Psalm 82, verse six. I said, you were gods. Who is considered to be gods in this instance? There's two options I think are the best, either the judges of Israel or Israel herself. Personally, I lean towards judges. It makes a lot of sense. The word of God came to them. They sit in the place of judgment. They're supposed to be exercising judicial goodness. They are not. You're gods. You're supposed to be ruling in my place, but you're going to die like mere men because you're not doing it. Jesus is making one point and one point only. If they can be called gods in this elastic sense of the word, because they sit in God's place, how much more can I fit and call myself the son of God who does the works of God? That's it. That's Jesus's point. I'm not blaspheming. I'm not blaspheming. Even in your law, it, there's an elastic term in the way it uses. Now, why is Jesus doing this? To get them to stop, put the stones down and to walk with him on this journey to find out who he truly is. No guys, stop, I'm God's son. That's why we're trying to kill you. So he's brilliant in the way that he uses scripture here. Now, he's not saying that people are gods. He's not saying humans are gods. We are not gods. We will not become gods. We were not gods, never. And Jesus is not saying that he was less than God. He is making one point. I'm not blaspheming. I can fit into the category of how we're talking about this. And even your scriptures point that out. Verse 37. He says, if I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, here's the command, here's the application for the original audience, which rolls over to us. It, even though you don't believe me, he commands them, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me 
and that I am in the Father. You don't wanna hear what I have to say? Look at what I'm doing, because you can't argue with that. And what is Jesus doing? He is healing. He's giving sight. He's feeding and nourishing. And you put the other gospels in there, he's casting out demons. He's bringing the kingdom of God right before their very eyes. Look at the works. What do you see? If people won't hear you, tell them the words of Jesus. Maybe you can show them the works of Jesus. Sam Chan in his book, Evangelism in a Skeptical World, he talks about different ways to evangelize, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to share how people can be reconciled back to their creator whom they have offended. He talks about memorizing your testimony, but he talks about this, and this might be helpful. Memorize, memorize some of the stories, some of the actions of Jesus in a way where you have put it in your heart and you can share it with somebody as well as you can share your testimony. Sometimes people don't wanna hear it maybe so direct or maybe not even in your own life, but you can share. Hey, have you ever heard of how Jesus and this, this woman, and, and you start telling them, right, about the woman who bled for 12 years. Most people haven't heard the story. They don't know. To them, Jesus might as well be leader of the patriarchy, all about men and trying to step on women, but he's not. He's the liberator of women as well. He loves women as well. And he comes in, and, and, and this woman, she's taken every ounce of dollar that she has, every penny, and she spent it on doctors, and nobody could help her. Nobody could relieve her of her pain. And she gets to the point where she's desperate. If I could just touch his cloak, I'll be healed. And she reaches out, touches it, power comes out. And they have this beautiful conversation where because of faith in Jesus, she finds healing from something that nobody else could fix. Imagine what that would do to begin a conversation, to open someone's eyes who've never heard the words or seen the works of Jesus. And the great news is we have so many to pull from. There's so many examples here. And these stories are designed to, in, to bring about faith. They're designed to encourage us in our faith and to lead people to faith. Verse 39, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. By now we know, because it's not his hour. I wonder if John felt like he didn't even need to say it, because we know it by now. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true and many believed in him there. Jesus leaves because they want to kill him, goes to where John the Baptist was, and John the Baptist's message, his witness lives on. You know, John didn't do any miracle, but everything he said, he's right on. You really are who he said he was. Did you know that we can join in that witness of John? You know, Sean, he didn't do any miracles, that's for sure. Definitely wasn't a perfect person, that's for sure. But he pointed people to Jesus in the Bible, and what he said and showed us, not that I have perfect theology, but in showing them the Lord of the word, it was true. It was correct. This is who the Lord is. And so we learned today that Jesus preserves his sheep unto eternal life because he is one with the Father. That is one in action. He is one in purpose. And no one can snatch them out of his hands. One of the biggest struggles sheep, people, believers that we can have is the fear of falling away. Any moment, I'm just gonna fall away. Any moment, I'm gonna blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Any moment, I'm gonna sin and God's just gonna have it with me and he's gonna kick me out of the kingdom and that's it and you're frightened to death. I won't look around. Can I get a witness? <laughs> big struggle for me. Big, long struggle in understanding things in God's grace. But you know what? 
those the Father gives to the Son, the Son keeps and he will save. Do you believe on Jesus Christ and you have seen fruit from it? The Lord has called you. He has saved you. He has rescued you. You are his and no one can take you out of his hand. Let your heart rest. Let your soul breathe deep. Do not trust in your ability to even believe. Don't trust in your ability to repent. Don't trust in your ability to acknowledge every sin you have and ask for forgiveness. You trust in who? Jesus Christ. Lord, I don't even know, but I trust you. I cling to you on your cross. Save me. I am yours. Do your work in me. Open my eyes to things I can't see, but I cling to you and you alone. Turn with me to Psalm 56. Begin with me in verse one, Psalm 56. David says, be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. Verse three, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Have you heard the song? Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. Let the weak say, I am strong in the strength of my Lord. I will trust in you. I will, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you and God whose word I praise. And God, I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh, what can man do to me? People of God, take great comfort in the strength of Jesus Christ, your Lord, this morning. Let's pray and let's thank him for that strength. And then we're going to respond in worshiping his name for it. Gracious Father, thank you for your perfect preserving power, which we also find in the Son. And together, Lord, bring about a deep trust in that preserving power. Lord, we need you to save us, and we need you to hold us until the day of full salvation when it comes. Lord, we need you to hold us fast. We are not strong enough, we cannot, but we look to you in our weakness and there we find incredible strength, infinite power and such a, a loving father's gaze. Lord, we praise you. Lord, comfort your sheep here this morning and strengthen them in the process. And it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus Christ, amen.